every day. Amazing humans are connecting with their power as individuals to change the lives of others, to create opportunities, to fight injustice, to care for the people. It's my mission to raise these amazing humans up and in harnessing the power of their stories, bring energy, passion, and inspiration to your day, to connect you with your unique abilities to impact the world. Every time you click play on this show, you will be inspired, empowered, and reminded that with every decision, you have the ability to touch lives and leave a positive legacy. Thank you for joining us as we share stories from across the world. Thank you for believing that you can make a difference. This is Impact Stories with Nick Kershaw. Hi there. How are you doing? I uh, quickly want to shout out a big thank you to everyone listening into the podcast. It's always a bit scary, always a bit of a gamble to kick something off that you know is a multi-year project, but the way the listener numbers have jumped up each episode is is really awesome and and incredibly fulfilling. So thank you so much for that. And of course, please let me know if you'd like to cover certain ideas, topic, conversations people who would be great to interview, anyone from across the entire impact spectrum. I know so far we've largely focused in on charities, but I really want to be taking this in the in the dynamic way of looking at impact from business to government, anyone who's creating a positive... Oh, it's 3.08. I take a photo every day at 3.08. Uh, alarm goes off on my phone and I have to take a photo or whatever's in front of me and stop what I'm doing, which is actually what I'm doing here. And I'm going to take a photo right now of my screen recording this podcast. And therefore, in, in some ways, taking a picture of you, wherever you are right now. Um, that happens a lot. Like That happens a lot in meetings. I, I've had some of the strangest moments when the alarm's gone off and I've gone, oh, can I, can I really take a photo here? And I always do. And it always ends up in a great story. And I've got photos um, from the last six years of some very, very random stuff. Uh, anyway, I've digressed a lot, as is always the case with the 308 photo. But basically, yeah, if you've got someone that you know who would be an awesome person to have on the show, uh, who's doing and creating positive social impact uh, across government, across business, charities, media, whatever it is, I would love to hear from you and and chat to them. You can always reach out to me super easily on Instagram at NJ Kershaw, and it'd be great to hear from you. So talking about six years, it was six years ago that I landed in Kathmandu for the very first time. I've been privileged to have worked there consistently and lived there a lot for the last six years. The nation of Nepal is an extraordinary place that captures people in a way that it's just a privilege to be able to go out there, but uh, it also has its challenges. And, and in April 2015, we decided to set up an impact marathon there, uh, the first impact marathon there. The challenge being that in April 2015, the earthquake struck that took 10,000 lives and left hundreds of thousands of homes destroyed. So when I landed there six months or so later... I wanted to tell a story of what happens 18 months after a natural disaster. By the time we got to the race and all the build-up, we would have about 18 months since the earthquake. And I wanted to, to talk about that story. You know, the aid money's gone. Media attention has also headed off long since, long since gone. But as is the common theme 
in my impact journey, the story I wanted to tell wasn't there. Instead, I came across a resilient community of organizations who simply focused on the long-term goals they need to work towards, regardless of what nature throws their way. Landslides, earthquakes, monsoons are common. They tend to exacerbate the challenges rather than change the challenges themselves. In this knowledge, I was searching for the untold stories and quickly came across Burns Violent Survivors, Nepal. Now, this is created for the treatment and rehabilitation of burn survivors, as well as the prevention and advocacy needs of victims of burns and acid attacks. This is an untold story because it delves into so many complex areas of Nepali society, from the role of women to the challenges of childcare whilst needing to work, to the reasons the use of acid is so prevalent in domestic attacks, to the level of education on burns prevention. It's not an easy reality to face nor story to tell. However, what I found when I first visited with the, the team there was a group of empowered, passionate, dedicated women leading the conversation and the action. They run on my new overheads every year and I receive the most detailed report of any of the organizations I work with where every single rupee our race has sent to them has been accounted for. To date, Impact Marathon has provided life-saving and life-changing support to over 200 men, women and children. A fact that challenges, inspires and pushes me on a personal and professional level. Today, we're talking with one of the younger members of the team, Pramashree Khaki, who led a phenomenal session with our runners the year before and has a brilliant way of taking what appears to be a micro discussion and placing it within the macro picture. I figured that that ability to mix the untold story within the context of the bigger picture fitted exactly what this show is all about. So I hope that you take as much from this discussion as I was able to. So we've got uh, Pramashri on the show uh, today, uh, live from, from Kathmandu. This is our first link up uh, to Kathmandu uh, on the Impact Stories podcast. Prama, how are you doing? I'm really good, Nick. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure for me to be here today. Oh, fantastic. It's great to have you joining us. And um, I guess let's start with your story and let's start with your journey to be working for Burns Violence Survivors. And how does that go? Where did you grow? Are you from Kathmandu? Yes. You know, I feel really blessed to share that uh, I was born to su such an incredible family, Nick. I was the first grandchild in the family. Um, uh, when I was born, my family, especially my grandparents, were, were elated to have a girl child in the family, you know. My cousin was, uh, my cousin brother was uh, born a few months later. Uh, but despite that, nothing changed for me. Uh, we both were given an equal amount of love. Uh, both were given equal opportunities. Uh, we, we both were raised to become, you know, individuals with strong minds, but kind heart. And, um, you know, when I'm saying this, this may seem a very normal thing in the West, but uh, where I come from, being raised like this is a matter of sheer privilege, which is denied to many. So I'm very, very thankful, you know, um, um, to have a family as such. Uh, and I'm very, very close to my grandparents. Um, I, I have always looked up to them for advices, for guidance and everything, you know. The values they have instilled in me has, mm. I'd say, greatly shaped my personality, uh, sort of um, maybe my thoughts and uh, behavior. So, um, you know, 
growing up in a very close knit family um it has all you know it has given an impression that family is everything to me i still remember um we grew up listening to the stories of the mahabharat you know the ramayan chanting slokas and mantras like sarve bhavantu sukhina which means you know may uh, all be happy may all be without disease may all creatures have well being um and you know may none be in misery so you know um and then uh, chanting vedic hymns and all you know uh, my grandmother who is a very kind hearted woman always preached us that vasudaiva uh, kutumbakam which means the world is one family um she'd always emphasize that you know life is meaningful when you share it with others when you empathize with the pain of others when you're happy for others uh, when you apologize when you're wrong and when you forgive people you know she'd always teach how one should always mm. uh, focus on their actions without any sort of expectation so these strong values my family instilled in me you know it was just a start to the person i was bec- becoming talking about my school journey um again i was blessed with an opportunity to to study in convent schools you know st mary's for 12 years and st xavier's for 4 years from an uh, early stage um uh, sisters and mothers uh, they taught us the importance of service to mankind you know the art of doing everyday things with with um with a big heart that is open to god uh, and others you know to always reach out um extend our hearts to uh, serve others the ones in need i remember we'd have value education classes you know and uh, and i i personally think the value education classes uh, i received has a very profound impact on my life i remember how you know one of the sisters a sister marilyn would teach us that hands that help are holier than lips that pray so i think you know these strong values have um, infused in me and uh, and uh, sort of reflect in my thoughts uh, words and i think uh, currently deeds also and i've been super super lucky nick that i'm working with many inspiring strong headed but you know kind and powerful female leaders like miss pramada shah mm. miss wendy maston uh, miss kohinoor dahal and of course miss pratiksha giri you know who strive for excellence in themselves and with the organization and the team they lead so i feel really really blessed to work with such amazing people who are you know constantly pushing me to grow professionally this is one of these things whenever we we visit the the bvs office it's something that obviously we've noted is 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 a is a female led team from from Wendy who who founded it but now yes. it's really it's the Nepali women that are leading that forward you said earlier about how it was actually unusual to grow up in in the in the family style that it, that you grew up in with the opportunities that you had or or world vision that was given to you through those years when did you realize that at what point was there a moment when you were like actually this is i'm that's really different was there was, was there anything that you remember like that um i think nick it it has to relate with uh, the society i grown up in you know uh, because uh, it's an everyday thing nick uh, you know historically if um, if we're to see uh, you know the status of women has uh, of course varied throughout the history but um, nepal has you know predominantly always been a patriarchal society uh, people are you know uh, trapped into the expectation of certain conducts uh, they're you know um uh, they have their own uh, you know deeply embedded concepts 
concerning you know um concerning um let's say marriage for an example uh you know the gender roles so i think uh, nothing specific of that sort but it has to be the you know watching the people of the society i grew up in nothing mm. so specific uh you know it was i think it was a reality check when i um when i saw how people treated their girls differently from the boys uh you know mm. how um sons were always given a priority over daughters and you know um because nothing that's nothing of that sort happened at my place my you know uh, honestly speaking my grandparents were happier to have a female child at home uh, compared to you know hmm. a son uh, so you know i think it was quite a cultural shock in the culture i was living mm. yeah i think and so I I think we I think we were going to go on a little bit into that that element of of a role that the traditional role of women in Nepali society and how that shape uh, how that affects the work you do but also how that's shaping up in the future. Um uh-huh. but I think it'd be great just to pause here and talk a bit about Burns Violent Survivors. So I came across Burns Violent Survivors really early on. In fact, I think it was one of my first meetings when I arrived in Nepal back in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. And it had been set up. I, I'd met Ali Marston, um, who is the daughter of Wendy, the founder. And mm-hmm. I met her in London and, and she had introduced me, uh, obviously, to her mum, who, who who very much acts still to my to this day as a second mum for me in Nepal. I have mothers all <laughs> over the world now because of this work. Wow. And Wendy's <laughs> certainly one of those. And what is, you know, Burns Violence Survivors, let's talk firstly, before we go on to the violence side, I think it's really important. We had the... The, the report come through in terms of the money, uh, how Impact Marathon money was spent uh, in this last 12 months. Uh, and a lot of that was to do with accidents and not the violence side. So I wanted to start off by talking about the work of Burns Violence Survivors. What are the primary things that you do as an organization? Burns Violence Survivors Nepal, BVS Nepal. Uh, it is a primary organization you know, that has been, um, I'd say, holistically working in the field of burns since 2008. Uh, it was founded by Mrs. Wendy Marston and um, Mrs. Pramod Dasha. Uh, so Mrs. Uh, Wendy Marston had been working working for the burn patients before the inception, you know, uh, due to some legal formalities. Um, she had to register the organization, but, um, but you know, she had been working for the burn patients, uh, I think, since the past 40 years, you know. Mm. Um, so BVS, you know, BVS Nepal, you know, sur- supports survivors of burns, um, which uh, which are caused by um, accidents, uh, injuries, you know, um, uh, or um, attempted homicides, uh, self-immolation, or um, you know, attempted suicide. We focus on the prevention, uh, protection, uh, advocacy, you know, recovery of the survivors, as well as rehabilitation. Uh, so far, we've supported more than eight thousand six hundred patients with um, medical and surgical treatment, um, counseling, physiotherapy, and, you know, nutritional supports. Uh, and uh, uh, we support, you know, uh, we've supported burned patients in Kathmandu, Nepal Ganj, uh, Janapur, Dhanusha, uh, to name a few. Uh, we've also successfully provided life skills and uh, vocational training to uh, 50 female burn violence survivors, uh, you know, so as to enable them to uh, start a new independent life. Rehabilitating uh, the survivors back into the society um, is um, quite a difficult challenge, 
because uh, people are so judgmental you know the scars the uh, people have um, you know uh, the deformities caused by burn you know the physical disabilities that the, um, that are caused by uh, burns are so difficult you know to um, it is mm. so difficult to fight against the societal stigma uh, and what is really you know sad uh, that you know despite the magnitude of the problem the issue of burns is you know um, yet to draw the attention of the uh, you know um, the government the state mm. and the non state actors Uh, um, uh, the Ministry of Health in Nepal. Uh, according to the Ministry of Health, you know, um, I think uh, um, over fifty-five uh, thousand cases of burn occur every year. But yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, given the data, there is no burn-specific hospitals in the country. You know, which can provide mm. burn patients with the um, holistic medical treatment. You know, and the uh, and also the aftercare. You know, support mm. needed. And this is like. a really you know um sad fact about the country we also you know work uh, towards uh, creating awareness um what bvs nepal feels is that you know uh, um although we do have you know first aid uh, treatment you know um knowledge concerning um first aid treatment in the school curriculum what is missing is that you know schools don't teach um uh, fire safety as part of the curriculum so you know um that mm. is why you know we have um found uh, this to be necessary uh, intervention that you know um, um um incorporating you know um fire safety in the curriculum will contribute to the reduction of Uh, burns accidents in the long run. Mm. Am, am I like speaking too much? You no, you are no, 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 no. You're absolutely hitting it, and I think it's so important to to get that that idea. Okay, so we've got fifty six thousand cases or so a year in Nepal. There's yes. no specific hospitals. Yes. There's the the Kanti Children's Hospital has a has the the ward in Kathmandu, uh, and the teaching hospital also has an adult ward in Kathmandu. Yes. yes. What other facilities are there in Nepal yes. that are specifically there for the treatment of burns? It's it's quite sad uh, to say this. Uh, there are no burn centers and you know burn care management mm. whatsoever in the country. You know, if if mm. uh, the cases are over, you know, twenty percent burns, um, the district hospitals or the you know health posts in the rural areas uh, they refer the cases to Kathmandu for the treatment. You know, and even uh, the private hospitals are uh, uh, reluctant to admit the patients uh, with uh, a high percentage of burns. because they lack burn care resources and mm. some patients uh, are forced to um you know um travel to Kathmandu all the way from you know such remote places and pay the airfare which is so expensive uh, adding mm. to the financial constraints um when they're already struggling to afford the treatment so you know I, and i think that, that that's what always brings it home to me is the stories and and you know again reading through the case studies this past week that have been going through the children's hospital and stuff is is you're looking at times when people have been having to travel three days overland with mm-hmm. <laughs> with high levels of burns on public transport to get to the support that they need and that support mm-hmm. is in Kathmandu and pretty much the only way that they a lot of the the people going through that ward can afford is through is through the support of BVS. Mm-hmm. And so I was just I think the other side of things that I'm I'm interested in learning a bit more about 
is the realities of how Burns come about. Because again, there's a lot of things that sat in, uh, you know, listening to a, a podcast on a run, which is what a lot of people are doing with, with this show. You don't necessarily kind of think about what are the causes of Burns. So reading through, you see the amount of, of open fires inside houses and that side of things. So I yeah. wonder whether you could explain a few of those kind of the key, because it's very common themes, right? Asari getting caught in a, yeah. in a fire. That is really common. Um, yes, yes. The um, ox milk, that's uh, the buff milk, sorry, that that side of things. So if you could just like talk through the social, social perspectives as to how burns even start to, uh, are so why is it so prevalent in, in certain rural areas? So Nick, if we look at the statistics, you know, the most common causes of burns in children uh, is, um, you know, parents leaving children unattended, the differently abled and the, you know, elderly unattended near the open cooking fire where they commonly fall mm. into. Uh, you know, some patients we uh, we treat um, are, uh, you know, uh, they complain that they had a convulsion and um, and they fell into the open cooking fire. So, you know, in rural areas, uh, not many people have the access to the, you know, um, the LPG gas, you know, and the gas stove. Um, mm. in their kitchen. So they're used to, uh, you know, preparing um, food in the open cooking fire, but also be in the animal shed to prepare the, you know, um, um, the fodders for the livestock. So um, additionally, you know, the um, the other causes uh, are, uh, you know, from hot liquid or food spilling, um, uh, the, the fodder prepared for the livestock spilling over the bodies, and, uh, you know, uh, most women in Torai, you know, they wear um, this uh, traditional free-flowing garment in the kitchen, mm. which uh, easily catches fire. So, um, so you know, the cases of burns are um, really high in number uh, during the winters. Adults and ch- children seek warmth and they sit too close to open fires. Sometimes they fall asleep and uh, they're too near the fire. And, you know, that's how their clothes catch fire. Uh, Talking about the urban, um, you know, in the urban side, most cases concerning, you know, burn are, um, you know, the uh, gas cylinder and the pressure cooker explosions. I I think one thing that that we we, we talked about a lot on the the podcast already and something that we talk about internally uh, in the team is there's, there's challenges where we can create an immediate impact and and BVS Nepal is one of those, those elements where it's like, okay, cool. There are this amount of people who do not have the money to afford these treatments. Um, and we were able to provide that and therefore change lives and potentially save lives in that process. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really like common form of how you create an impact in the world, right? You can say, mm-hmm. cool, this needs funding. I'm going to fund it. But the other side of it is always looking at it from the perspective of of what you just said earlier, which is you know in that prevention side, and for us as well, it's around long longer term systemic improvements that we can make that can prevent it. So one area is obviously like the awareness of fire safety in schools, which is you know the idea that that wouldn't be happening is 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 extraordinary in some ways. But the other side of things is also looking at okay, what are the systemic things that we that would prevent this? And you look at those elements a lot more. Where I'm interested in talking about a little bit here is that we see the process of, of the burns happening. We also see the process of the, the rehabilitation and the work burns violence does. So when someone, you know, a mother turns up with a child who has who has been burnt, she turns up at Canty Children's Hospital. What yeah. happens next? 
so when a patient is admitted, uh, we get a phone call from the hospital, from the hospital staffs or the health workers. Uh, since we focus, you know, our focus is uh, more on, you know, uh, helping the ones in need from pe- people who are from, you know, uh, poor financial backgrounds. Our staffs go through an intensive, you know, process of identifying uh, whether, you know, how how needy the patient is, you know. Uh, so mm-hmm. after after all that, um, the treatment started at the hospital. Uh, we provide them with, you know, medical and surgical treatment, which can include, you know, uh, surgeries, multiple surgeries, um, you know, debridement, skin graft, and um, also, um, you know, reconstructive surgeries in special cases. So we provide the patients with, you know, um, the immediate medical service that way. So after that, you know, when the patients are um, uh, in the, you know, recovery phase, uh, we provide them with nutrition baskets, uh, which comprises of eggs, um, um, juices, you know, um, chocolates to little children, and we have bananas, fruits. We provide just, them just to explain. Little, so, so when it comes to nutrition baskets, yes. What do the what do the family receive? Is there any food the family receives from the hospital? Where do you know if you're a mother who's brought their child? What happens next? Do you where is there for you to stay in the hospital? Because a lot of the a lot of uh, if you're traveling from three days away, that side of things mm-hmm. as, as well. I'm just trying to paint this picture of of understanding for people where who don't have this kind of health system and um you know who are coming from a place like britain where there's the national health service what's the value you know why are the nutrition baskets important and and i guess why um what happens to the parents and the family who travel with with the child uh, each case is different nick uh, some people are so poor that you know they cannot uh, um, um you know afford any treatments, you know, they're deprived of um, food and, uh, you know, um, 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 they don't have other family members who can, you know, uh, swap uh, during the treatment. So, you know, uh, after, you know, going through an intensive um, process of identifying how much the patient is in need. Uh, some, Some patients can look after their own, you know, fooding and lodging. But some people who are, you know, really poor and uh, unable, we make an extra effort to reach out to them. We provide, you know, uh, obviously the patient admitted at the hospital gets a nutrition basket. But um, Mm -hmm. um, without sounding pompous, uh, we go out of our way to, you know, support the family um, members attending the patient. We, um, We try to provide them with food. We pay for their, you know, transportation or the ambulance service, uh, you know, they take. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I remember uh, we we had even asked for, you know, a baby crib uh, to the donors. Um, and um, uh, there were really benevolent people uh, who uh, went out of their way to get us some, you know, new uh, clothes for the babies and for the parents. So, you know... Uh, um to sum it up uh we do whatever is possible you know mm, absolutely and so that process how what's the normal time for that process um how long are people off uh, uh would someone be in hospital how long does the rehabilitation process take nick uh you know the plight of the burn injury is that you know uh the treatment is quite an expensive process and uh, mm. uh the you know um the time frame 
could be quite long you know some people get discharged in you know 3 to 4 days it depends it completely depends on the percentage of burn the patient has endured the degree of the burn you know sometimes you know what happens is uh, the patient may su- suffer from a superficial burn but the burn mm. induces other complications so there are patients who have you know uh, 40% burn on second to third degree but they have you know successfully been discharged and there have been patients who have 5% burn a first degree burn but have lost their lives mm. so you know um, mm. um it is it is really difficult to categorize or you know um really tell you like how long the stay of the patient is in the hospital or you know how mm. much the uh, treatment could cost yeah yeah and i think something that i guess has come up for me when listening to you but also you know coming to the office and working with with the team for for the last 5 years mm-hmm. is that this is not as you said this is not something that's massively on the radar of the government and something they want to improve though i know that you 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 had some success with advocacy earlier on which we'll come on to and that was quite recent and exciting development but also this is not something that's really on the radar of 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 the uh, other NGOs and INGOs working in Nepal, it's an incredibly complex issue which we'll we'll come on to next. But one thing that I guess I wanted to ask was how you as a team stay as optimistic and positive as you. Know, I always feel walking into your office a good and positive energy, and yet the discussions that we have are are often quite are very challenging. Um, how do you as a team stay emotionally? energized and optimistic and how do you react to the the challenges when when maybe a patient doesn't make it through what is it that that you do as a team do you, is there active stuff you do is there an, a a value system you know how do you cope with those the emotional challenge of fighting what is a a super hard battle um i don't know how to frame this but i would say i i'm really blessed with a really good team you know each mm. individual of my team is so nice so warm hearted you know so empathetic they really understand you know how do i put this they have this amazing uh, quality where they can strike a balance between you know how much to be involved mm. uh, how much to cater to the needs uh, they have um, um how to say this well they're a group of you know enthusiastic optimist a uh, hard working bunch of people uh, who really you know motivate one another support one another uh, you know to perform better we're constantly uh, in a healthy competition among you know each other we push mm. one another to grow um we we believe in having you know um a good camaraderie a good team synergy being focused on our work and you know always reaching out to as many people as we can you know mm-hmm. um i would just sum to sum it up i would say um to have a team members like this is is one big blessing you know i um it's i'll be um completing my uh, second year uh, this april i've learned so much from the team from each individual nick uh, mm. you know i i've really learned how to be professional yet you know um maintain a personal relationship with each, each individual you know um to you know um uh, understand how a team functions you know it's not like um it's not like a competition within ourselves you know it's like 
it's like you know competing as a team it's a, it's a teamwork mm. you know it's it's yeah. so nice to have a team like this nick yes uh, it's like a family to me and and they've been, you know we can see you know they've been pushing you and and you know last year at, at the Nepal race that was i think your first ever presentation was to our runners that year yes um and now this is your first ever podcast today. So, <laughs> the, you know, the team are pushing you uh, as well. And um, <clears throat> I think going into that conversation that you had with the runners last year and, and why I was so keen uh, to to chat to you on this podcast really was that you, from that presentation, people came out so energised and engaged and it went on way longer than scheduled, which is always a good sign because of the questions. Yes. We talked about it earlier and I think it's really important to talk about this now. It's not burn survivors Nepal, it's burns violence survivors Nepal. And that violence is a really important part of, of this, of understanding mm-hmm. um, the work that you do, the challenges you're facing. And, and I think a lot of that revolves around the role of women in society, but also the, the use of burns in a, of, of, of acid and that sort of thing in terms of domestic violence. Yes. Um, so I wondered if you can just explain a bit more about the work that you're doing in that area, the background towards about women's role in society and why Burns comes up as a, as a, you know, you mentioned self-immolation and that side of things as well. To explain why we have violence in, in the name of our organization, uh, this highly has a relationship with, you know, the status of women in Nepal. So to give you, you know, a quick um, background, like I said earlier, the status of women in, you know, Nepal has varied throughout history. Um, Nepal, you know, predominantly has been, you know, a, a patriarchal society. People were, you know, trapped into the expectation of, you know, certain conducts, which, you know, were derived from um, the perceived virtue. And, you know, women were generally treated subordinate to men. Uh, Females were uh, discriminated right, you know, right uh, from their birth. Uh, They were denied equal opportunities in every respect Um, to people. Having sons meant a big reason to celebrate, while, you know, daughters were mere liabilities. Um, Uh. In marriage also, you know, men were expected to um, rule over their wives, um, demonstrating aggressive behavior, exerting control, uh, treating women as inferior beings, you know, it was like widely accepted. So this also, you know, had um, uh, indirectly sent a message to them that violence was very much normalized. So, um, you know, normally like um, men were treated, sorry, normally men treated um, women as their property and, you know, also thought that, you know, beating her, bashing her were um, bashing when, you know, things didn't go his way. Um, Mm. um, Sexual jealousies is not violence, but, you know, their form of love. So now um, does this not, you know, give us a clear understanding of, you know, how Nepalese women were frequently subjected to abuse from the, from her husband in laws or you know um, or or even mm, domestic abuse, um, Nick going into stats is you know even depressing. <laughs> I I feel men are you know being imprisoned by um, the gender stereotypes and you know their conditioning, uh, you know um, any uh, and uh, any act or you know practice that is against what is expected. You know, such as women expressing their feelings or opinions, you know, their um, expression of thoughts, you know, they were seen as too aggressive in cases, you know, um, considered wrong 
viewed as uh, an unattractive uh, quality and sometimes you know even labeled as a rebel um so you know any activity which was you know um uh, which was conducted um against what was expected of her was really frowned upon and um uh, and also you know it's it's quite funny but then earlier the concept of you know seeking equality and uh, the notion of feminism was considered you know nothing but um but a battle between the sexes mm. well gender disparity still exists outside the major cities uh, women are still imprisoned under the gender stereotypes they're still you know restricted to the household works um they still face discrimination and uh, inequalities on the basis of their sex color of the skin or even caste but um it's it's uh, quite i'm quite happy telling you this that you know in the past century we we have witnessed a positive mm-hmm. uh, change in both uh, the role and the status of women in nepali society um, um the the rights of women have been uh, secured by the constitution um and you know to some extent um nepalese women are defying the you know cultural uh, um cultural uh, traditions um you know and um, and also thinning the barrier to um gender inequality um movements mm. here are um a lot inclusive um feminism which um earlier had multiple interpretation over the years uh, has now mm. um been you know understood that uh, it it is that you know search for equality is not man hating so yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you know this week um <clears throat> here in the UK uh we mm-hmm. this this debate has has risen up uh, again in a massive way a woman in fact same age as me I think she was 33 um was walking home late at night and she her body has just been found and the the conversation came up um hugely because it was through london which is a, generally speaking a, a pretty safe city overall but <laughs> i say this compared to many of the cities that i've had i've lived in but the discussion has come up again around yeah women have to take extra care here in the uk mm-hmm. my friends will message and say and i've had it before where where friends have said can i quickly call you i've got someone weird who's following me and so you just call them up and so that they try and put people off crossing the side of the road you know taking a taxi right even though you're the only live 10 minutes walk away and just the challenges the un- subconscious things that women do even here in the uk where where obviously mm-hmm. there's been huge steps forward there is still that underlying subconscious things that you do to protect yourself and this focus being around oh women shouldn't walk alone at night well no men shouldn't do what they like yes. and this discussion comes up because a lot of men get offended by this and they say well it's not me and it's not all men it's like well fine but that that's sort of an irrelevance here because we don't you know we we don't have to think like that i don't think twice about walking home alone mm-hmm. that's not a conversation in my head at least and so it is you know the, the, it's it's amazing to see but it's still the the changes that have happened in Nepal that you've mentioned which are really great but it isn't something that's just exclusively in Nepali is either as well and feminism and, and this anti man hating that is not that it yeah. is about us all working together to create to create a place where anyone has the opportunity to walk home safely or to have that job or to make a decision over their body it's just such a fascinating global discussion because it comes from different angles and you mentioned caste and you mentioned other things that are are specific to Nepal as well recently you've had a success in terms of 
moving forward legislation. Could you give a brief history of how you managed to sort of put, you know, it was joining a few other charities to to get the conversation into uh, into Parliament and into law. What was what was the story behind that? What we strongly felt was that the existing laws were re, were in, in in sorry inadequate to you know deal with burns as well as the acid violence. We strongly felt the need to have laws that adopted you know a comprehensive approach to dealing with acid as well as burn violence. Um, it was quite sad that there were no separate laws concerning burns. You know, cases of burns were um, dealt under. Uh, I wouldn't say what they are still, you know, dealt under domestic violence and the perpetrator is punished accordingly. Uh, earlier in cases of, you know, acid attacks, if the, if the survivor's face was distorted, the perpetrator was slammed with five to eight years of imprisonment and um, a fine of, you know, uh, Nepali rupees one to five lakhs. Whereas um, if the uh, if if any body part of the survivor, uh, apart from the face, was distorted, the punishment was, you know, it was reduced to only three to five years of imprisonment, and the fine was and was fined rupees um, fifty thousand to three lakhs. You know, uh, the saddest thing is that uh, twelve hours makes a day in the jail, so which mm. automatically explains, you know, already the imprisonment was so less. It was, you know, it got even more reduced. So, so just to so clarify, a day is twelve sort of hours. So, like, if I'm imprisoned um, for one year, that means that yes, I'm actually yes. imprisoned for only half a year because I, I'm in every twenty-four hours, I'm serving two days of a sentence. Yes. The other sad part is, you know, sometimes the perpetrators are even, you know, released on certain uh, occasions, uh, such as, you know. I don't know if it's actually Constitution Day, but then I do know, you know, on certain occasions, mm. on this, on the basis of the severity of the crime, they are released, and uh, uh, it's quite sad to point this thing out. But then, you know, our our system is so so corrupted, you know, that um, mm. most people who are, you know, perpetrators who are, you know, um, who use violence as a medium to, you know, shut people down, they're walking, you know, they're roaming freely. Um, you know, um, they give bribe, they are not in the prison. So it's quite sad, you know. And uh, mm. so I think this also um, depicts how important it is to, you know, adopt laws that focuses on all aspects of crime and, you know, um, and what impact it can have on survivors, you know. Um, it's, it's quite sad that um, our laws do not address, you know, issues concerning the um, penalization of, you know, uh, perpetrators, um, doesn't, you know, really much look into the uh, safety of the survivor and uh, the family and, you know, doesn't uh, really, um, uh, you know, um, doesn't really support uh, in the, you know, treatment and the over, you know, overall well-being of the patients. Mm. Sorry, mm. I just forgot about the second part of the question. Nick, I just got carried away. Uh, yes. No, um, no, it's so- all right. That's no, quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, after fee, after uh, after all this, we um, we thought we really need to you know lobby for stricter punishments, uh, ensure that you know the uh, the survivors uh, get free treatment. You know, they get uh, they get adequate uh, compensation. So you know, we're striving to ensure um, you know provision of uh, social security allowances, uh, education mm-hmm. and employment opportunities 
opportunities to them, counseling services for, you know, both victims, survivors, mm-hmm. as well as the perpetrators, you know. Uh, and wow. Yeah. On the preventive yeah, side, we're also, uh, yeah, you know, on the preventive side, um, we're seeking to, you know, ensure proper regulation of uh, regulation, sale and distribution of acid, as well as, you know, mm-hmm. other corrosive substances. Uh, we're working to um, create awareness, um, you know, generate programs uh, explaining the impact of the burns and acid violence on people, their families, mm. how difficult uh, an individual um, might feel, you know, um, uh, reintegrating back into the society. So, yeah, um, we're currently working to, you know, um, achieve uh, our our goals. Mm. I think the one thing that I, I'm always like impressed with with your team is is for, you know I know that amount of um, like the, the overheads to the organization are super low. You don't have a big budget, but you have a huge impact on every single life that you that you are involved with. Right? It doesn't your support of each child of each woman of each man goes through you have a really direct impact on those people's and those families lives the other thing that that impresses me as well is that there's always creative ideas um even to the fact that when a, a, a an english guy comes in and says let's run a marathon you you were like yes let's do it let's, that sounds really great um <laughs> but you always always willing to say and and one of those things there's two two things that i've been uh impressed with one is the 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 fashion show I wonder yeah. whether you could talk a bit about the fashion show because that was such a powerful one. And the other one is the candles as well that that are made actually at at the office uh, and a bit about the sort of the social enterprise behind that as well. Uh, Nick, I wasn't really there when the fashion show mm. happened. Uh, but then all I can tell you is that, you know, that event uh, was, you know, targeting to send out a message about, you know, that Beauty is beauty actually lies in the eyes of the beholder, you know, one incident, mm. one unfortunate incident, uh, and its impact cannot really measure beauty or the, you know, the convention mm. standards of beauty. And I think it was a really good platform for our survivor sisters uh, where they were, you know, sending a message to the world that, you know, the, the survivor is never at fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always keep your head held high it was a sort of a message to the world that life goes on mm-hmm. and as for the candle so we've named our candle you know the business um it's not it's not it's not really a business but um you know we've mm-hmm. we've named it phoenix i'm sure you know what the meat you know what phoenix yes. is rising from the ashes so you know this is also trying to uh, it's it's just an it's a measure to you know uh, reintegrate our survivors back into the society. Uh, we provide our survivors with uh, you know candle making training. Uh, they mm-hmm. make really beautiful candles. They really mm-hmm. work hard at it. And um, you know they twenty um, percent of the proceedings you know go to the survivors, mm-hmm. so they're rewarded accordingly. Uh, so it, no, it's 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 always popular um, with our runners. I've actually got quite a few uh, mm-hmm. here. So if anybody wants one, let me know, um, and I'll happily. Uh, I've still got yeah, I think twenty or so here at the moment, and I mm-hmm. I, I would love to uh, to get out around the country. Um, and so I guess everything about this this podcast is around 
the empowerment and the and and how to overcome the challenges that we're facing as a global society. Yeah. So as much as the there is this this huge challenge and it can be quite difficult. And I know that even reading through the reports from you, it's it's tough for me. I feel this this I feel happy that we've been able to um support, but I also feel sad that this is the stories that I'm reading and I feel uncomfortable at times and that's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable looking forward, right? Looking into, I've got kind of two final questions. And the first one um, is really around what is the one thing and it could be equipment, it could be policy, it could be what, it could be anything, right? What is the one thing that would have the biggest impact on the work that you do? What would your wish list be? This is quite a tricky question. <laughs> can I be a little diplomatic when it comes to this? You can be. You can be whatever you want to be. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I think policy equipment as well as awareness, um, all three have their you know respective importance when it comes to this sector. Uh, these three aspects are interconnected, uh, interdependent, and um, when combined, these you know ensure better treatment facilities to burns and asset survivors. Uh, at the policy level. You know, enforcing um, stricter punishments, uh, ensuring uh, there's a proper uh, regulation uh, of, you know, sale and distribution of acid and other toxic substances, uh, the provision of uh, social security allowances, uh, education and employment opportunities, uh, counseling for survivors and their family, you know, um, free treatment or uh, adequate compensation to the survivors. So, you know, these are very important um, uh, when it concerns policy because in some cases, you know, survivors, particularly in cases of women and girls, you know, they initially report violence as the cause, but under various um, uh, reasons such as you know social and familial pressure or the financial constraints on them, you know, they, it forces them to change their statements later, and it's it's really sad that majority of the cases um, of violence are not even reported to the police. So this explains the need to have laws, you know, that uh, adopts a a very comprehensive approach when it comes to dealing with um, survivors of burns and and acid. So when it comes to awareness, like I mentioned earlier, reintegrating the survivors um, back into the society is a a big challenge. The the level of um, stigma concerning burns, um, uh, especially, you know, acid survivors is so strong that, their uh, faces become, you know, roadblocks to the social life and the physical pain, the mental trauma, um, its impact on self-esteem, self-confidence, you know, survivors really go through a lot. So this is where our duty, you know, as a member of society should step in. This is um, exactly where awareness, you know, depicts its importance. So, you know, awareness concerning uh, the causes of burns, uh, impacts of burns, um, the preventive measures associated with it, um, first aid treatment, etc. You know, they they will all have a great importance for people. Uh, um, uh, yeah, they will have a great importance for people. You know, to understand the importance of being empathetic or you know fire safety measures. Now, when it comes to equipment, again, um, the you know it's a plight of that the injuries are really costly to treat. Um, um, you know, burns leave um, survivors with lifelong scars and deformities. Uh, and um, 
you know, since um, the treatment and recovery from burn burn injuries require, you know, successive surgeries, it is quite an expensive process. Uh, often the treatment uh, drains the patients financially and, you know, um, most even resort to leaving against uh, medical advices. So, you know, where in places where there are chronic shortages of medicines and um, basic medical materials, um, you know, lack of burn care centers and burn care management, um, you know, these do not these are, uh, you know, catered to a lot of, you know, uh, disadvantage um, when it comes to uh, timely and effective treatment of survivors. So when all these things are combined, you know, um, when they are um, well integrated, uh, I think uh, survivors um, will, you know, have access to better medical facilities. So I strongly believe that, you know, these three components components that are interrelated and interconnected are all fundamental when it comes to um, ensuring better treatment facilities to the survivors. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I think um, the, the fact that that was such a comprehensive list and, and there's so many things that need to happen to be effectively improving the treatment, the prevention, the awareness, the rehabilitation of survivors uh, and of burns as a whole just yeah. is a really good example of how much work there is for organizations like BVS. Yes. And with all of yes. those things facing uh, BVS, as I said at the start, when I walk into the office, I always feel energy and love and and positivity. And I guess my my final question for you, Ramashri, is how do you stay positive? Not not BVS uh, as a whole, but you as a person. What makes you optimistic? What makes you um, hopeful for uh, for the future? I, I strongly believe whatever happens in life um, happens for a reason. Uh, I, I believe you meet people for reasons. Uh, things happen to you for a reason. Uh, you learn out of you learn out of situations. You you grow into a better person. Uh, and I I guess this is what keeps me going. I think this is pretty much what keeps me motivated, Nick. Amazing. Thank you. And um, yeah, I, I, I would really sum this up as that. <laughs> it's perfect a perfect answer right <laughs> and i really want to just thank you thank you for the time you've I given really uh you. over these three recordings uh that we've been we've been able to do here because of the <laughs> and your patience with that uh but also and of course i'm so thankful you kept on listening to what i was ranting you know i think it was more <laughs> of a lecture it just felt like i'm a professor and then you're you know a student who's been patiently listening to some informative things some <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think that that's that's the that's the beauty of this right we you know i feel like on each of these i am a student and i'm learning and i'm getting to ask questions that hopefully challenge in a way as well as as well as just sort of cover off stuff and and make us all and the listeners think a bit more about about these questions so um i'm massively grateful and of course i'm i'm massively grateful to BVS uh, yeah. Nepal for everything that they've done with us as Impact Marathon, uh, the inspiration they give me all the time, all the time. It's amazing. And the work that, that you do day in, day out, uh, but every single day, you still 
have to focus in on what's happening in Nepal and what's happening in the hospital and what's happening with each of the individual patients. And I'm always amazed by that. So I just always want to take the opportunity at the end of a recording like this to thank you for, for everything you do to, to create a positive impact in the world. Um, so yeah, that's my, my final gambit on this one is just to thank you and all of the team. I'd also like to take an opportunity to, to thank you, Nick, for your unwavering support. You know, um, you've really been so considerate about what we do. And then, you know, I think this is what keeps us motivated to work harder, uh, to do better. I think to even, I think, grow into a more empathetic person, you know, when when people realize, you know, what our motive is and then a little push when it comes to being appreciative. I think that work that goes a long way, Nick. So thank you so much for being so nice to us always and for motivating us to work harder. You know, it really means a lot. Brilliant. Well, there we go. That is um, a really lovely note to finish on. Uh, so thank you everyone for listening and thank you Amashree, for, for joining in. Thank you for having me, Nick. Hey, it's Nick here. Just a quick message before you go. If you have been inspired by today if you've learned new things then please leave a comment leave a review share it with your friends it helps us to inspire and empower more people today if you want to reach out just message me on instagram at nj and until next time go out there and be awesome